Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to have Amy Bowers here today on the Arthritis Life podcast. Welcome, Amy. Hi, happy to be here. Great. Can you just start by giving the audience a really quick introduction to yourself, like where you live and what your relationship to arthritis is? Sure. So I am living in Miami, Florida right now, and I moved here about nine years ago, and I have been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis for about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. And that's, so we're recording this in the end of January, 2022. So you were diagnosed during this worldwide pandemic, which I can't even imagine. So I would just love to hear a little bit of your initial diagnosis story. You know, what were your symptoms and what was it like to be diagnosed during COVID? Ooh, uh, yeah, it was, it was very hard. Um, I didn't know what was wrong. I, you know, I I don't have, it's not like I have five sisters and my mom is is in her fifties, you know, pretty young and, and no one in my family has an autoimmune condition. Um, one sister struggles with migraines, but I just didn't know what was wrong. Um, and 
my hands were like making, you know, into little claws and I couldn't open things. And um, my knees got so, so painful. And I was having a hard time walking or even holding my own weight up to stand. And um, obviously, like I called my primary care physician as soon as I could and got blood work done as soon as I could. And he called me back and was like, this looks like you definitely have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I'm, you know, he sent me a referral to a rheumatologist and they were so busy. I couldn't get in for so long. So I was just living on prednisone and a prayer, you know, just until I could get in to see the rheumatologist for the official diagnosis. But, um, you know, I did all that on my own in the pandemic. So that was very difficult. All of my family lives in Northern Michigan. And, um, you know, I was a single girl living in an apartment by myself that I had just moved into and couldn't even have friends over um, because it was COVID, wasn't going to work because it was COVID. So not seeing anyone except for on Zoom calls and, you know, FaceTime with my doctor <laughs> to try to figure out what was going on. It was very difficult. It was very isolating and confusing. And I just like couldn't imagine that this was how it was going to be, you know, um, at least until I saw the rheumatologist. Yeah. Wow. So you were, it, it was like in what month was it? That was in, I would say August of okay. 2020. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause we, so the pandemic at that point, there was still so much uncertainty. Like, are we about to be done with this or, I mean, I can't imagine. I, I mean, you're just describing what, what you went through, but you know, being on your own and then not really having the expertise of a rheumatologist to guide you through understanding, like, how did you even get information about rheumatoid arthritis? Like, did you Google it or how did that work? Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on like Mayo Clinic's website and then the uh, the Rheumatoid Foundation's website and just trying to learn. But um, honestly, like the resource that was the most helpful for me was Instagram. That's how I found you. And that's how I found out about the program um, that you run with Room to Thrive and um, social media, which like I have I've never been like, I always am bad at Instagram. Like I don't, I post pictures of like my cats and flowers. Like I don't post content people want to see. Like I, I'm not very I love good your at cats. media. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love Instagram and TikTok just for like connecting with other people because, you know, it was such an isolating experience. Social media, like seeing people, even like, especially people my age that are dealing with um, being newly diagnosed. You know, I learned a lot from them. Um, I learned a lot from, you know, you, other people, especially on Instagram that, you know, if it was a simple life hack, something to make my life a little bit easier, things that, you know, can alleviate pain. That's not medicine, you know, um, that was super useful in that weird time period while I was just like waiting for my diagnosis, but like definitely had RA, like <laughs> it was, it was very helpful. And honestly, I don't know what I would have done if I, because I didn't know anyone with it. And I wasn't able to really talk to anyone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're also all the while this is happening, you're working a very demanding career, right? So you're trying to work. Can you tell the audience oh, a little bit about your career? 
Yeah. So I had actually started a new job in March of 2020. So I had started um, working at a big, like a national law firm and was like five months in when I got the diagnosis. So, um, and I'm, I'm right now I'm 35. So at the time I was like, you know, 33 and like a seventh year associate. So you really want to crank your hours, get it all in. If you want, if you have aspirations of becoming a partner, um, especially at a firm like that, there's, you know, um, a lot of value is placed on billing a lot, helping out partners. And um, when I got sick, it was just, it was just, I, I couldn't work. Like I had never experienced anything in my life like that. I'm super energetic. I've never had a problem with focusing never had a problem working long hours, I would be happy to do it, you know, like formerly, you know, preparing for trial before I got sick, like, you know, two weeks of 12 hour days, no problem, like whatever it takes to get it done. So that, you know, that's just kind of expected when you do the type of law that I do. And when I got sick, it was, I mean, honestly, Thank God it was during the pandemic because work had slowed down so much and I had just started this job. So it was like before I got onboarded to a lot of cases. Um, so I could sleep like hours and hours in the middle of the day. Um, and then once I eventually get, did get into the rheumatologist, I think I was put on methotrexate right away and I would be doing Zoom calls or something for work and feeling a little bit better generally overall, and then just like have to leave a Zoom call to go like be sick and throw up. Like I just, my body was not tolerating it. And just that whole process of like being so fatigued, I, I, and not being able to focus, not being able to work. I knew if I didn't start feeling better very quickly, um, I would lose my job or I had to leave my job. I just, I did not feel like I had options and working at a larger firm, you know, there's a very big HR department that, you know, they focus on diversity and inclusion and you have like a mentor assigned in the firm and like everything from a distance looks like there are resources there when you're going through a crisis to help you. But when it's happening to you and you're so tired, you can't even function and, you know, you're stressed out and you're in a lot of pain. Those resources are just it they're just not, they're not adequate. And that was a very hard lesson to learn was like, HR is not your friend, you know, like um, it's not a charity, it's a business. And, you know, while you have met nice people or smart people, capable people, and people have, you know, appreciated your helping them or whatever, they don't care about you. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a very hard thing. That was hard for me to learn because I care so much about, you know, people I, I work with, I think that's just normal, especially, you know, living in Miami, not being from Miami, like, that's where I've met all of my friends is at work. And, you know, when, when that happened to me, when I was, my hours were abysmal, I was not able to work. And it was, you know, made very clear to me, like, this is not gonna, this is not gonna work out, you know? Yeah, I can't even imagine, like, how hard you had to work for your career, you know, to get to where you were and then to have all of a sudden, like through no fault of your own, you know, you're working just as hard as you've always worked and doing what you've always done. And then all of a sudden you start getting hit by this 
you know, fatigue, brain fog, joint pain, and then um, having to then function during this totally uncertain time of the pandemic. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, like, did you have to tell or did you have a difficulty figuring out who to tell about what was going on? Like, did you disclose or did you not? How, how did that work? Yeah. So, um, as far as the, the people I told, um, at the time I was staffed on like this one really big case and there were two, um, women shareholders or partners that were pretty much managing the case. And I told them because I, I was taking these Zoom calls, you know, with the team and getting assignments and, and trying to figure out who was doing what and when and, and just, you know, talking about case strategy type conversations. And it was like very obvious to them and me that I was just confused. Um, just and for the first time, like, you know, not having like not having like quick remarks or status updates and just kind of being like slow in responding, not remembering things that I did, just things, you know, you really need to be detail oriented to be, you know, litigation counsel. And I just, I, it was very obvious that there was something wrong. And so after we hung up a call where I felt a little bit like, you know, almost bullied or, or just not welcome or that I was not, you know, up to, up to the level that I needed to be at, um, just in my communication skills. Um, I told them, I said, this is what's going on, you know, and, and they didn't, they didn't know anything about the, the condition. They didn't know. So I had to explain to them, this is how I feel. You know, I don't think I'm, I'm going to feel like this always, you know, once I find medications that work for me, I'm very confident. I'll feel better. I'll be back to normal. You know, like, please just be patient with me while I, um, while I, and my doctor's we try to figure this out, kind of troubleshoot. Um, so, you know, I'm sorry, but please be patient with me. And I swear I'm trying as hard as I can. And I hope this will just be like very temporary, you know? And um, I did tell HR um, when it became evident to me that like, this was not gonna be a quickly, you know, resolved situation or quickly improved situation. I talked to HR. And they're like, well, have you considered short-term disability? And here's our policies. And, you know, you could take this much without pay and this much, you know, with pay. And it was just like, I did not have the like emotional strength to deal with that. Like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't accept like taking a disability leave. I just, surely it's not that bad. Like it's going to get better, you know? And and honestly, like at the time, because it was the pandemic and, you know, bigger law firms were kind of reactionary during this period, a lot of the partners who would normally have downshifted work onto me to handle as a senior associate started handling themselves so that they could make more money for themselves and, and have their hours a little bit higher and their bonuses a little bit bigger. So like it actually kind of worked out because there wasn't a huge expectation um, for me to bill a lot, but you know, it was evident that it was still the work that I was doing was not the same quality work. And that was very difficult for me because I take a lot of pride in what I do. And I worked very, very hard to get to, you know, where I was. So. Yeah. 
I think so many people listening can, can relate. I mean, I, I've had so many of the same thoughts. I, I haven't worked in what I would consider as kind of cutthroat a field as, as law, but it's really, you know, when people hear rheumatoid arthritis and they just think joint pain, you know, these kind of stories hopefully are so illustrative to them that this is so much so much more than that, right? It's not just more symptom wise in terms of, you know, brain fog and brain inflammation and fatigue and systemic inflammation, but it's also, you know, the ripple effects it has on on your social life, you know, your work life, your sense of self and your sense of self-concept. And, um, yeah, I just, I just feel for you that you had to go through all that, like on your own, during a pandemic, I just, I am just in awe. Everyone who's going through this right now should just give themselves a little bit of a gentle pat on the back. <laughs> did, did you find that the initial two people that were like, um, that were overseeing the big project you were on when you told them, were they understanding or. So I think they, um, I think they were just so busy with and stressed that they didn't have the bandwidth to really, you know, it just, it was, I'm so sorry going through that. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Like if you, you know, need to take a day off or whatever, you know, they say all the right, the right things, like, but it was just a very kind of surface level, you know, we're sorry you're going through that, you know? And I mean, it's, I I kind of understand it's a business, you know, like they have requirements placed on them to manage, you know, more senior attorneys like me. And I basically told them like, you know, I have an unmanageable problem at this moment. You know, um, I just don't think that they were equipped really. They weren't certainly weren't trained, but you know, what, what are they supposed to do? There's no, it's just, you know, I, I'm not sure anyone else could have handled it differently or better, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. There's, there aren't like guidebooks on how to, you know, deal with this, especially in like a a corporate environment. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a shame because I really felt, um, I, you know, I just felt like I have to get a different job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. How, how have you, how have things evolved in, in the year and a half since then job wise? So I went to a firm um, that doesn't have a billable hour requirement, at least not okay. one written down. I mean, oh, there's and, kind of a suggested one, but. And can you just explain to the people who's, I, I have friends who are lawyers, so I kind of understand, but can you explain to the audience who maybe doesn't know like, what is a billable hour? Like, what does that mean? Okay. So um, basically one hour of time is broken up into little increments. So if you spend um, six minutes, on a task, that's a 0.1. So through the day, you're doing 0.1, 0.1, you know, uh, two hours on a memo is 2.0. And at the end of the day, you add it all up and you should have, you know, my, my like minimum at the point at that point was 7.2 hours a day. Okay. Of billable time. So that Mm -hmm. means, you know, pro bono work doesn't count or business development things don't count towards that Mm 7.2. Mm-hmm. And when you spend too long doing a task, you know, that for somebody you're, you're with your experience, then you kind of, you know, sometimes you like self monitor and you give yourself, you know, something took you 0.8 that should have t- taken you 0.5, you just do 0.5. So at mm-hmm. the end of the year, it should be, you know, 
2000 hours total billable okay. or whatever the different firm, different firms have different requirements. Um, so I left a job that had an hourly require, requirement and I took one at a small firm that did not have a billable hour requirement um, just because I, I thought that could, that would be kind of low hanging fruit to take some stress off of myself to not have like a firm, you know, line in the sand that I, you know, that's, that's, I have no power to change, you know? Um, yeah. 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 So how did, how has that gone? Like, have you been able to have a, a better, like, I know a lot of people don't like this phrase, like work-life balance or just overall, you know, balancing your health with career. How, how is that going now? It's going a lot better. I think, I think one of the central differences is that I came into the job I have now and told them like from the beginning, you know, that I had a diagnosis, um, you know, and I, I asked, you know, please, like I might need a little bit more time in the morning before I can speak. Um, it might take me a little bit longer to get up. If, if, um, you know, I'm not feeling well, I might go home or work from home. Um, and for the most part, as long as I get my, my work done, it doesn't matter what time of day I'm doing it, which is great. And, um, we're in a hybrid schedule. So I go into work on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I stay home Tuesdays and Thursdays and, um, masks are required to be worn in all, you know, kind of common spaces. And, and I felt, I have felt a lot, um, better since starting at the smaller firm, um, just, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally, everything has kind of, because it just time has passed, you know, I, I've had, I've had a lot of time pass. And I think that starting this new position kind of clean slate, but with transparency, you know, like I have some health issues, they might affect some things, but like understanding that they are going to be flexible enough to kind of accommodate that has been a huge relief for me and has enabled me to be better at my job. I think. That's amazing. And I think that that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to do is to have those initial conversations. Like, were you worried when you first brought that up, like your needs up that they wouldn't be accommodating or how, what was emotionally, how was that? <laughs> it was, so it was very, it was, very, <laughs> I was so scared because I knew, I knew in the long run, like I needed, I needed to be honest because I knew, you know, this, especially because it's such a smaller firm, it's a boutique practice. So if one person drops a ball, somebody else needs to pick it up immediately. You know, um, you're working, it's like a team-based position. So I, I didn't want to come off as being like, you know, yeah, you're going to hire me, but it, you know, I'm not gonna be able to do all the work. Like I was confident I could do all the work. I was feeling better and able to do all the work, but, you know, I was interviewing, walking into the interview in flats with a limp. Like, you know, I knew it was like, obvious there was something wrong. Um, so I was scared about that. And then I was, you know, embarrassed. Like I shouldn't feel, you know, I shouldn't feel, uh, embarrassed or nervous. Like I should, you know, there's, the only person making me feel this way is myself. Like, you know, all these thoughts that go through your head and it was just, it was a very anxiety ridden time. And I was very glad that most of the interviews took, took place over zoom because 
you know, it's not, it's not so easy to perceive, but then I felt bad about that. So, I mean, it was just, it was difficult. It's just like, a, it's a never ending, just like uneasiness, you know? Oh, no, you're describing it. I, I so relate to that. Yeah. It's like, there's so many benefits to doing things virtually now, if you have a disability, right. Cause it's not as maybe visible, um, but then, like you said, or maybe I'm, I'm putting, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost like you don't want to be like a bait and switch like, oh yeah, you kind of assumed that I don't have any limitations, but actually, you know, mm-hmm. I do. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a very, it's a very difficult thing. And I'm glad that you talked about how scary it is because I think it will help others who are in the same position to hear that, you know, you can have those scary conversations, you know, you can do hard things. And now you're, you are not to be like put wrap it in a tidy bow, but like you did, you pivoted your career in order to support your, you know, overall like health and well being, mm-hmm. And, you know, that is, that's something that I know a lot of people, um, end up doing, you know, whether it's like, you're, you're obviously still a lawyer, you know, you didn't, you weren't like, okay, I'm going to go do something totally different, you know, but you switched to your specific workplace and, um, and what, what did you have to change insurance too? I feel like that would be so stressful. Any changing in insurance? We're oh in the US. God. So let me tell you, I thankfully, luckily, um, my new employer had the same insurance uh, company from my old employer. I mean, obviously different policies and way different levels of coverage, but um, at my new at my new um, position, there was my first month my insurance wasn't active yet. So I couldn't get, I was doing infusions twice a month at that time. So I didn't have two infusions. And then a month after I I was so desperate and it was like still lagging a little bit. I paid cash for an infusion and sought reimbursement afterwards. But, and, and my doctors helped me before, I think thank goodness I knew beforehand that this was the case. So I, I was able to get a lot of my prescriptions filled in advance. Um, and, and that was good, but yeah, it was, it was very bad. So right when I started, I was using a cane, I was having a very hard time with pain. Um, and, you know, I wonder if my employers thought like, oh, this is way more serious, you know, but it was just, I think kind of a short-term ramification of a very stupid insurance policy. (laughs) Like, you know, I, I'll never understand that, uh, why you have to wait a month, you know, that the administrative headache of making like, in case somebody quits within a month, like whatever, That's but it was horrible. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, and I think that one of the most frustrating feelings for me. And I think many others is like suffering for no good reason, you know, like, cause you're like, I know what's going to help alleviate my suffering. It's getting my medication. So like the fact that this is being delayed, you know, for maybe not no good reason. Like I was thinking about like shortages during the pandemic, like there's a lot of people right now in Octemra who aren't able to get it, you know, and that the reason is the pandemic, but it's still like frustrating to be, to just be like, I want to do everything I can to feel the best that I can. And I'm being stopped by these forces out of my control, you know, and mm-hmm. it's part of the overall process of like living in a body that's like to some degree out of your control, you know, you do the best you can. And then, but, you know, sometimes you get hit with a flare or you get hit with, you know, pain out of nowhere. And so, um, 
Well, I'm glad you eventually got back on your medication regimen. So do you mind sharing what what your management of your RA looks like today? Like you don't have to say the drug names if you don't want, or you, you can, people are always just curious, you know, to hear other people's stories. Yeah, sure. So I, I do, um, an infusion once a month now. Um, unfortunately I am allergic to, (laughs) I've tried two different infusions, uh, infused medications. I'm allergic to both. I don't know. So I'm sure we'll try something next. So I'm on prednisone right now to treat the uh, allergic reaction. No, I don't oh know prednisone because I hate taking prednisone. <laughs> um, um, and then I take um, hydroxychloroquine, which was super fun to try to get during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then, um, you know, I take vitamin supplements. I'm not convinced they do anything for me. Um and I'm, I know I'm forgetting something else. Oh, I take like a, an NSAID, you know, just like a pain reliever, a prescription strength pain reliever, um, every day at, at night I take a muscle relaxer and that's super helpful for me, a strong muscle relaxer, because I have really bad spasms in my back. Um, and a lot of, you know, just muscular pain in my back. Um, so that's been heaven sent. And then I, I always tell this to people who are struggling with brain fog and fatigue. It has literally saved my job and probably my life. I take Adderall, (laughs) I take Adderall and I feel like so much better. I, you know, as I said, I don't have any problems focusing. That's never been a problem with me. Thank goodness. Um, you know, I've never had any type of attention deficit problems like that, but it's a stimulant and I just feel awake. Um, And I noticed like after I started taking it, my sense of humor came back because I was able to quickly react to people saying things. And, and I just, I feel so much like myself now. And I credit it like a hundred percent to Adderall without it on days when I don't take it, or if I forget and take it late or something, I'm right back. You know, it's so, it's just a palpable level of fatigue. It's debilitating you know, so I love my Adderall. I am the Adderall evangelist. I yeah. think anyone listening who's suffering with brain fog and fatigue should have a conversation with their doctor about stimulants. Um, cause I've found it so useful. Yeah. That's the one of the things I never even learned about until, you know, being on social media groups that, that it's, you know, a lot of rheumatologists or even primary care doctors will consider, you know, consider if it's appropriate for the individual patient, you know, whether Adderall could be, or, or another stimulant could be helpful for their fatigue. And, and even like you said, even if you don't have a diagnosis of ADHD, you may be able to get that, um, to help with, with the fatigue. And that's, that's, I mean, something, you know, we want to throw everything we can at these things, right? Like, um, and I, I think in general, the medications, that are available tend to really target the joint pain and inflammation. And they don't always target the fatigue in the same way. Like initially the thought was, well, all everything's driven by the same underlying cause. So if you, if you improve just overall inflammation, um, it'll improve, you know, through the medications, it'll also improve fatigue, but that's not the case. Like fatigue persists, even when inflammatory markers are down for people with RA, not all the time, but a lot of the time. So Anyway, long story short, yeah, I I think that that's a great tip for people to to learn about. <laughs> and then, what are some of the other things like your daily tips? Like, I know that 
you know, in, in our room to thrive group, you know, I kind of walk people through different, you know, non-medicinal ways of, of coping and, you know, life hacks, pain management, all that. Do you want to share any of the, maybe the stuff that you've learned there or learned on your own? Cause patients become the experts in their own care too. Yeah. So, I mean, this was, I, I love talking about that and room to thrive and just learning what everyone else has learned and then kind of just, you know, getting together and sharing them. Um, it's been, it's, it's been interesting, like things I, I never thought of, um, like I have a, a paraffin uh, wax bath. And I remember after one of our uh, discussions in Room to Thrive, someone's like, have you tried putting your feet in? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, I don't know why it didn't occur to me. My feet hurt. Like, why didn't I try that? So I, I tried that and it was amazing. Um, I'm very into, um, I'm very into my bathtub. Like this is, it's the love of my life. I'm, I'm looking at apartments. I have to move soon. And these apartments don't have bathtubs. You know, they're like uh -oh. young, uh, young people, I guess, in cities don't want bathtubs. I want a bathtub. It's non-negotiable. Um, lots of things, a little bit of exercise. I know everyone always says a little bit of exercise. Um, so that's been kind of an interesting thing for me. I remember when I was diagnosed, I would order delivery and walking from my bed or the couch to the door to pick up the delivery that's like brought up in my building to my door was a challenge that would take me like, you know, five minutes or so. And then like my next challenge was walking to the pharmacy and I could walk there, but then I'd have to get like a scooter back. And it's like, you know, four city blocks, maybe it's not that far, but now I can walk to the pharmacy and back. I can walk to the ATM to go get money. I can walk to go pick up food. I, I can certainly walk to the door to get my delivery. Um, you know, so that's, that's been interesting to me, like just kind of pushing myself, um, more and more over time, you know, it's been like a, over a year and, and I think there is something to be said for like a tiny bit of exercise, whatever is like, a, whatever you can handle, even if it's just walking into your apartment or standing while you cook. I mean, that's, it does, it does alleviate some pain. Um, yeah, uh, we talk a lot in Room to Thrive about weighted blankets. I love my weighted blanket. I love my little compression gloves, which I know you rock a lot. Yes, so. yes. Um, I wear them all day at work typing. When I get home, I'm wearing them. If I'm, I, I love to color in coloring books, so I, I wear them while I'm coloring, and it helps a lot. Um, so I have, I have lots of little gadgets, you know, around help me open jars, that type of thing, because I, I like to cook a lot. So yeah, I've learned, I've learned a lot, mostly from people on the internet <laughs> room yeah. to and people on the internet, just, you know, things I can do to make my life a little bit easier and, and, um, you know, more, more free of pain and also just to kind of be able to relax and, and, um, you know, not think about pain, just relax for the mental component of it as well has been, it's been useful. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, so many people during the pandemic felt isolated, you know, whether or not they have a chronic illness, it was just like an epidemic of isolation. Right. But, you know, having that, having to learn how to cope with a chronic autoimmune complex, you know, illness. And like you mentioned, when you were diagnosed, you never 
known anyone or met anyone your age. So what has it meant to you like to have like, so Room to Thrive, we talk about the tips and tricks, but we also have that time in each of our weekly meetings for the social support and just the general like kind of traditional support group style. Like, um, so what has that, I guess, meant in your journey? <laughs> it's meant, it's meant honestly, like that has meant so much because it is such an isolating illness during an isolating time and all of us kind of grappling with isolation. Um, but honestly, like I've learned so much about other people's lives and the fullness of their lives and the richness that of their lives that they're able to kind of like achieve and manage with this illness has been so super inspiring. I mean, there's young moms in our group. There's, um, you know, people who are, who are a lot older than me, but still dealing with the same things and, and the same, the same anxieties and, 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 you know, different anxieties that I can certainly empathize with, but have, haven't lived. And it's just been, you know, how do people at different life stages in different, you know, social situations, different types of relationships, like how have they all managed this? And it's just been, it's been so lovely just to see like, you know, this does not need to be this does not mean that you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. You know, um, I think, I think that was very challenging for me. Um, because at the time of my diagnosis, I was going through a divorce and it all just happened at the same time. And now in, in our discussion groups, you know, I learned I'm not, first of all, not the only person to have an RA diagnosis that's gone through a divorce and maybe theirs didn't happen all at the same time. But, you know, some people are going through a divorce and their, you know, RA diagnosis or ankylosing spondylitis diagnosis or some other autoimmune condition has certainly played a role, you know, in that relationship's trajectory um, and, and being connected with people who have kind of been, you know, dealing with managing RA, receiving a diagnosis, an autoimmune diagnosis and kind of their social support system falling apart um, has been super helpful for me because it's like, okay, well, life doesn't end just because that relationship ended and because you have a difficult diagnosis. Um, like your life is going to go on because look at these people around you and they're doing okay, you know, or maybe they're not doing okay today, but next week when I talk to them, they'll be doing better and they'll have some type of wisdom to impart to others and strength to give to others and and that's just been like, honestly, like such a ray of hope for me because, you know, you get, you get in these routines and when you're alone all day and everyone's kind of going through pain, it's a very painful time right now for everyone. I think, um, you know, you kind of think like, this is it, like, this is, this is what life is now. And it's, it's not true. And being connected with other people who are going through the similar things and, you know, are truly learning how to thrive, you know, not because of, but despite, you know, a, a hard diagnosis or, um, you know, a divorce or getting, you know, having a career change, not being physically able to do what you want to do. Um, it's just been, it's just been so wonderful and just makes me so much more hopeful than I, you know, ever thought I would be. So at the start of all of this. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing to hear. And I mean, you know, one of the things that 
keeps coming up for me in the group. And even as like, you know, I'm facilitating the group, but I also am going through <laughs> rheumatoid arthritis myself. And it's like, so often we feel like we're the only one, right? Like so often, even if we're connected through social media and other things, it's like, you kind of have this moment when you're about to share something with a group where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just silly. I'm just being so silly. And then inevitably whenever, whenever anyone brings something up where they're thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm the only one there's everyone else is like, oh no, like me too, you know, yeah. or, uh, it's just, and it, it, we tend to be the hardest on ourselves. Right. So it's like, um, when we say something like, oh, I can't believe I like, didn't do a better job. Like there, oh, there was a one person who was talking about that. They didn't advocate in their mind. They didn't advocate well enough for themselves during a medical appointment. And it's like, you know, having people in the group say, you know, that, you know, you did the best you could. And then you could still, it, the, the time to advocate isn't over after the appointment, you can send a follow-up, you know, voice message or, um, my chart message or whatnot. And just like, yeah, just that ability to have people who just get it on that, like logistical level, like all the challenges of like insurance and, you know, disclosing or not disclosing at work. Anyway, it's been, yeah, it's been amazing to watch. Um, and I didn't know when I started, you know, arthritis life that there would be a pandemic. Right. So I was just thinking about doing online programs because I could just be, it would be, I'd be more able to serve lots of people in different areas instead of in person. But then once the pandemic hit, I'm like, oh, this is really necessary now. Like, <laughs> like this is not a nice to have. This is like a must have. Yeah. But yeah. And I know like even like when you've brought up things like you mentioned using a scooter, you know, so many people, especially young, young people, however you define young, you know, young appearing people, people who are not basically appearing elderly often feel shame around using any sort of mobility aid, you know, a cane or a scooter or even a compression glove. So like when you say, oh yeah, I use that at the store. It's so powerful to other people to hear that. Right. Cause they're like, oh, I didn't know if I should, or I could, or is that, are people going to look at me weird? Like you don't look sick. You don't look like you need that, you know? So, um, forget where I was going with that, but <laughs> it's okay. I can, I can talk about that. I mean, I've, I, I really struggle, especially with, with a cane. So, um, as a treat to myself, I got this really fabulous hot pink cane. It looks like a flamingo. I love her. And, you know, I don't need it most days, but when I'm walking, like usually like vacation is a great example of when a cane is great because it's a lot of walking or more walking than I typically do <laughs> than I probably should be doing. And especially like on hard surfaces, like museums or, or sidewalks, you know, it really is difficult for me. My knees get so tired and it just feels like I'm going to collapse, you know? Um, so that is, has been very hard for me to, to kind of accept, but I think by having a pretty cane, it's like, you know, you have to look at it, like everyone look at it, you know? Um, and I'm not trying to kind of like hide it. So it kind of gives me like a puff of confidence, you know, that, that, you know, I, I don't have at the moment, but it's like, it, it kind of is like a fake it. So you make it thing. And it's like, you know, I'm someday I'm going to be proud to walk with this cane because the cane is cute. You know, I look cute with it and, you know, anything I can do to like make myself feel a little bit better, I think is I'm going to welcome it. And what I really struggle with is accepting wheelchairs. And I'm, I'm 
I'm really, you know, trying to work on that. So this year was like the first time that um, I tried a wheelchair at the airport because I had a horrible experience. I was traveling with friends and I went through regular, the regular line. It didn't look like it was too slow or anything, but it, they closed down one of the machines. And so there's only like one of the security systems running. So I ended up having to stand still for a long time carrying like a backpack. And I would, my body was ruined for like a day. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. So I learned, you know, a lesson, a very hard lesson, uh, the hard way. And um, so I've, I've become, you know, open to using a wheelchair, at least through airports. And my goodness, it has completely changed the travel experience for me. It is unbelievable. And I'm just, you know, kicking myself, like, why do you have this, you know, issue with accepting a mobility aid? You know, why do I feel the way I do? And I think part of it is, you know, I, I think people are going to look at me in a wheelchair being pushed around by somebody and be like, there's nothing wrong with her, you know, and, and that I don't, that I'm not sick enough to have it or disabled enough to have it because there's nothing obviously physically, you know, wrong with me, you know, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like grappling with that. There's a lot of like, you know, internalized ableism that I'm, I'm still dealing with, but um, necessity is a great teacher. And so, you know, it's kind of like deal with it or not, like this is happening. So, you know, <laughs> I totally, <laughs> totally get it. And I think there's so many layers of complexity to it. Cause I think, yeah, it starts off with just most of us have grown up with a lot of ableist messages, you know, and like people in wheelchairs, in the messaging that I think is incorrect. They are people to be pitied and they're people who, you know, um, that they are not there. If you have to use a mobility aid, you're less than in some way, you know? So then there's your own kind of often resistance to using an aid because you don't want to be seen as less than. And, you, and then there's also living with a condition where you're in that gray area. You're not paralyzed. Like you can walk a little bit right? But you're not at the point where you can just walk kind of unencumbered by any limitations. Like you have limitations and how long you can stand and walk. But most people think in a very black and white way, like you're either hundred percent disabled and you need a wheelchair or you're hundred percent able-bodied. Like there's no in between. So, you know, I would, what I tell people who are worried about people judging them is they will judge you. They will, you have to just look that in the face and be like, okay, so I can either be judged while taking on a behavior like using a mobility aid that helps me, <laughs> or I could be, or I could be judged by, and, and then, you know, not use something, but it's like either way, people are judging each other constantly. And so, you know, I, I just, I think it's so important to just take that stand for what you need in the moment, you know, and like you mentioned, you know, take the power back. Yeah. I'd be like, I have a cane. It's awesome. You know, it's pink. Um, and I do hope that one day our society has a better framework for understanding invisible illness, invisible challenges, you know, cause there's so many reasons somebody could lack stamina, you know, now there's long COVID there's cancer, there's multiple sclerosis. There's so many, so many re reasons, you know, or ways. One thing that's a little tiny bit of an in-between measure that sometimes I, I will tell people, look, if you're really having a hard time, like, and this is, this is going to be controversial. Okay. <laughs> but like, 
sometimes if I'm like, I don't want to have to explain this 20 times, like I, you can, you can put something on that's like a visible thing. Like you could put on a knee brace, maybe if you don't technically need that knee brace, you know, or like, um, I have some like heavier duty hand splints that I used to need more often. I don't currently need them, but it's like, if I don't want to have to sit there and explain to everyone at the airport, why I can't do something, just put that on, you know, again, that's controversial because it's like, you don't, you don't want it to in general being like faking disability, obviously, but it would be for like, as a short-term measure to like, get you through a unique situation, like an airport, you know? Um, so just, just a couple of thoughts. <laughs> But, I wish there was like a, you know, when children travel by themselves and there's like designated minors, like the little cards, the placards. Oh, there <laughs> is want, one. Someone, <laughs> someone made one. It's the sunflower lanyard, like the sunflower lanyard, um, is for invisible. Dis- I'm so glad you reminded me of that, but again, it, it doesn't, is, that's a great, it's a great idea that obviously somebody had before me and I hope it becomes widely known and accepted because I think that would be awesome. Just some type of way. So I don't have to have like the additional burden of explaining why I am utilizing a service that's available to the public <laughs> would be great. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like um, I, all, I know there was a time in the group that we were talking about, um, like Disneyland and, you know, that someone was saying, and I know right now, obviously Disneyland is difficult because of the, you know, infection control, but that, you know, that they tried to do Disneyland for the first day without using any mobility aids. And it was just, you know, a disaster. And it's like the next day they used a wheelchair and it was so much more enjoyable. So, you know, it's like, you know, trial and error, you have to meet yourself where you're at, but it's certainly just for anyone listening, you know, you don't have to like wait until it's bad enough to justify needing a mobility aid. Like if you need, like, if you need it, you need it. You know, you're the one, you're the best one to judge that. So and there's we'll also, be- this is going to like, I'm probably going to hate myself when I hear this recording back for talking about this, but, and it's an extremely privileged and I know how this sounds. Okay. Just everyone listening. I know how this sounds, but if you are fortunate enough to be able to afford things that provide you comfort. That's been a very key thing for me. Like, don't feel bad. If you can afford to upgrade to first class, upgrade to first class. If you can afford to get the nicer hotel room with the nicer mattresses, do it. Like if it's not going to break the bank and, you know, and if you're as fortunate as, as, you know, other people and you can afford it and it's fine. Like I've had to, kind of like just take from my mind the idea of like just like uh you know like this one will be okay it costs less so I should just do the the cheaper thing like no because for example a flight there's a huge difference in how much I'm going to enjoy my vacation if I'm flying coach versus first class I seriously will take an entire day to recover just from the stiffness of sitting in coach and I'm a small person, you know, but it's just, it's so uncomfortable and it ruins the next day. So then I'm, you know, thinking of, well, I need a whole day of my vacation, my hard one, you know, deeply, deeply earned vacation to kind of deal with, you know, traveling. It's like, no, just pay the extra money and do first class if you can, you know, if that's something that's in your reach, just do it and don't feel so bad about it. Like you don't always have to do the cheap thing, you know, and, and that's just been, that's been a hard lesson to learn too. Cause 
you know, but what I'm learning is like comfort is very nice. Like it's very, it's very nice. Oh, totally. And I, yeah, I do feel privileged when I talk sometimes about like the different gadgets I got. Like I, I bought gloves that are over a hundred dollars that are electronic, like battery recharged, heated, heated gloves. Oh my God. They have changed my winter completely. Cause I always, I love like the thought of going out in the snow and playing in the snow, but I have pretty bad rain nodes on top of rheumatoid arthritis, which means that my vascularization to my fingertips when it's cold, just goes away and my toes too. So, but yeah, I, it's like, you know, the worst situation is to get the thing that you need and then feel bad about it anyway. Like, so yeah, we, of course, I wish that everyone with rheumatoid arthritis could afford first class and could afford all of everything, all the paraffin bath, the infrared sauna. I know someone who has one of these, you know, there's so many things you could, you know, you could invest in like the weighted blankets and everything. And, and I think I, I, when you were like, I think people are going to hate me for saying this. I mean, certainly jealousy is a normal reaction when someone has something that would bring you comfort that you can't afford, but I don't think it's inappropriate to share that that's brought you, you know, comfort and that you, you see it as, you know, you're worth, you know, if you have the resources, it's worth investing in yourself and you shouldn't feel guilty in, in that. I almost, I'm at the point where I see my shoes as like a health investment pretty much because my, you know, and with COVID it's been easier because every, I'm not having to walk around, um, in like, um, shoes that are, what's the word? I don't even know what the word is now, like pretty shoes, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, but you know, supportive shoes, if I don't wear supportive shoes, I'm going to actually feel my feet are going to hurt a lot more. So, you know, things like that. Um, and convenience too. I'm, I'm, I'm become so just happy to pay for convenience. Like having my groceries delivered to me is $10, Mm -hmm. right. But it's, I order on Amazon and then, you know, my groceries come delivered to me. I'm not risking exposure to people in the grocery store. I don't have to deal with heavy bags you know, getting in an elevator, doing all those things. I mean, that's, it might sound like, well, everyone who does grocery shopping is not a deal. And it's like, yeah, but like, if I do grocery shopping, that's, that takes a lot of my energy and it's right. very, very draining. And then I'm anxious about being around people indoors and it's just, it's $10, you know, it's all right. Like I can afford it. And that's like, you know, giving myself permission to kind of spend the $10 here or there to make my life easier, more comfortable and more convenient. Like it's money well spent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I hope that this is inspiring to people. I feel like it's like, I'm always encouraged. I feel bad. I'm always encouraging people to get more catches, <laughs> but, um, I need, I need to rein in the spending though. I mean, I think I know. there's so many things you can buy for RA. So you yeah, know, you eventually have to- you'll run out. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know when I get to that point. Yeah, no. Uh, and so this has been, this has been so, so great. Um, and I, I always like to ask other, um, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, people, patients, um, I know some people don't like the word patients. It's hard for me to get out of the habit of saying patients. Cause I like being referred to as a patient when I'm talking about my healthcare experience as a patient, because that's just how I see myself in that encounter is I'm a patient, you know, but you are much more than a patient. You're a whole human being, but is there, I always like to ask to finish my initial sentence. I like to ask if there's any advice that you kind of are inspired to give to anyone who's newly diagnosed listening today. It's a hard one. It's a very open-ended question, right? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I have much advice to give other than like in the beginning, it might seem like, 
horrible and bleak and it's painful, especially if you don't have your meds figured out, you're not getting some relief through medication and struggling to find good, you know, care providers, all that, just like as painful as existence is just like, keep going, you know, even if you're sleeping through the whole day, whatever you need to do to get through the day, just keep going because, you know, eventually, like hopefully likely you will find something that can get you feeling more like your old self again. So just, just to keep going and to, to not be afraid to ask people to, to help you, you know, that's been, yeah, I totally get it or understand what you're saying. And I think that I have to keep relearning that, you know, I've had this for 19 years and I, I still struggle to ask for help sometimes. And, um, and I think it's just, it's hard because asking for help, it means admitting that you can't do something yourself that most likely you in your past, you know, pre-diagnosis life, maybe would have been able to do, or just in your ideal world, you would have been able to do. So I think that's, that's really, really great advice. Um, is there anything else just as a final note, you'd like to share that we didn't already cover? No, I, I think I'm all set, but thanks. Oh, good. I would say anything else just because I'm like, when I'm being interviewed at the end, I'm always like, oh, I wanted to say this, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'll think uh, of something. No, I know you will. It's like that, like five minutes later, you'll be like, oh no, but we covered, I mean, we covered so much, you know, we talked about, you know, you're di- being diagnosed during the pandemic. We talked about c- making a career shift, how it affects you, you know, being a high, you know, in a highly um, competitive demanding career and then your daily tips and room to thrive and shame. And I mean, this really covered everything. So thank you so much. And do you want to share any social media um, handles for people to maybe if they want to follow you or is that more private? Sorry, I should have asked. Oh, no, no, I'm always welcome for, for Spoonie followers, but I, I warned you already. I'm very bad at Instagram. It's a very boring Instagram feed, but it's Amy M Bowers M for Michelle. Um, So find me on Instagram and I'd be happy to connect with you. You're warned. (laughs) It's not a competition. Everyone. Yeah. Uh, That's great. Thank you so, so much for sharing today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, 
just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.